Ruth chapter 3, starting at verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. No, Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you're there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he's lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say. (laughs) Thank you. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I'm your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anything could be rec- anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Let's pray together. Let's ask that God would help us as we uh, study his word together. Father, thank you for what we've been singing. Thank you for that amazing reminder that you are the God who is both just and merciful and we want to know that this afternoon we want to hear you speak to us through your words thank you that your spirit is the same spirit who caused this word to be written that spirit is now with us and in us and enables us to understand and so father we pray that you would be at work among us this afternoon in jesus name amen okay i've noticed something really weird about ruth but perhaps it's not that weird it's probably not that surprising but here's what i've noticed Every time I say to someone, we're studying Ruth at the moment, I think everybody I've said that to has said the same thing. Can you guess what they've said? They've all said, I love Ruth. It's my favourite book in the Bible. I love Ruth. I haven't met anyone yet who's gone, Ruth, mm, not fast. I prefer Habakkuk. (laughs) Give me Habakkuk any day. There's something about this story, Ruth, which really grabs people. And it got me thinking, why? What is it about this little obscure story from ancient history that so captures people's imaginations today? It must be that it's more than just a nice story. 
there's something about this story that resonates with us very deeply. It finds an echo in our hearts. Listen, you may be here this afternoon, you, you may know very little about Jesus, you may know very little about the Bible, and yet I guarantee this story of Ruth, there will be something in you that instinctively goes, yes, that's right. That's good. Why? Why do we react like this to this story? Well, I want to suggest it's because this is what we were created for. Actually, what's happening in this story, you love it because it's what you were designed to love. It's how you're made. That's why the story feels so good, because it fits us. Now, the central image in this book, okay, if we're going to understand this, this book of Ruth, there's one big image in the book. And it's the image that we began to look at last week when Boaz said to Ruth, back in chapter, uh, back to, uh, in chapter 2, verse 12, where Boaz says, May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you've come to take refuge. That's the central image, okay? The big picture in the book of Ruth is that Ruth is a Moabite, a foreigner, who has come to take refuge under God's wings. And you may not have noticed it, but that same picture comes up in chapter 3. When, Bo- when Ruth has this encounter with Boaz and she says to Boaz, spread the corner of your garment over me, it's the same word. That word garment is the same word as wings, right? So she's saying, spread your wings over me, Boaz. Now that's important because there's one other place in the Old Testament where this image is used. Let me show it to you. Uh, this is, don't have to turn here. Uh, this is Ezekiel, chapter 16. No one ever says to me, Ezekiel, that's my favorite. Some people like Ezekiel. It's a great book. Uh, look, look at this. It's quite graphic language, I warn you now, okay? Uh, but just look at the picture. Right? God is talking about his relationship, God and the people of Israel. This is how he describes it. Just look at this and watch for the language. Then I passed by, this is God speaking, it's like a picture, a parable, and I saw you kicking about in your blood. So this is a little baby that he sees thrown out in in a field. And as you lay there in your blood, I said to you, live. I made you grow like a plant of the field. You grew and developed and entered puberty. Your breasts had formed and your hair had grown, yet you were stark naked. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Sovereign Lord, and you became mine. So here's the same phrase, all right? I spread the garment over you. I spread my wings over you. But this time, it's God talking to his people Israel. And here is this people Israel who were pictured as being this, this naked baby who grows into a naked girl who is exposed and there's shame and God comes and spreads his wings over her to cover her. And you can see that covering, that spreading the garment over is getting married, entering into a covenant. That's what's going on. Now that is really, really important. Because all of us long to be covered. To be uncovered is a scary, horrible thing that we try to avoid. Humanity's always been that way. Right back at the beginning, when God first made humanity, they were naked, right? 
There was no sin. There was nothing to spoil it. There was this perfect open relationship. But, but humanity turned its back on God, rejected God, and shame came into the world. And the first thing humanity did when they rejected God was they tried to cover up. They made, fig leaf, they made a covering of fig leaves themselves. They wanted to cover. They wanted to cover them. Sorry. They wanted to cover themselves. <laughs> I'm not going to mime. It's unhelpful. I'm just going to stand here. They wanted to cover themselves. They wanted to try to avoid being seen in their nakedness. Now you watch anyone today, when someone has done the wrong and they know they've done wrong, they will seek covering. That is why when people know they've done wrong and feel guilty, they will shrink like this. Because they're looking for covering, right? You look at someone who's guilty in court and they will want to cover themselves. They don't want to be seen. There's, there's a shame attached. But the beauty, you see, is that Although the first man and woman made their fig leaves covering, it didn't work. It was no good. It was pathetic. It didn't do the job. And you know what God did? God came to them and his first act of grace was to cover them. He made clothes for them to cover their shame. And that is the big picture. And that is what all of us long for. We long for someone who will cover, who will cover over our shame. And that is what we see in uh, Ruth chapter 3. And if, if this story is, that we've seen here in Ezekiel is God and Israel, then can you see that as we read Ruth and Boaz, we need to make sure that we don't just go, oh, it's a nice love story. We need to see this is a parable, a picture of God and his people Israel, which actually flows through to Jesus and his church. That is what this is about. As you read Ruth and Boaz, you have to read Jesus, Boaz, Ruth, church. That's what's going on. That's why it gets us excited. My expectation this afternoon is if you are a Christian, Ruth chapter 3 will make your heart sing. Because it is so stunningly beautiful. But we've got lots of details, okay? That's the big picture stuff, right? That's, that's where we're heading. There is a glory, there's a great beauty here, which we will find echoes deeply in our hearts. But I want us to get into detail. There's lots of details here and puzzling details. And I want us to kind of engage with them a little bit. I want us to think. Keep the Jesus and his church stuff in your mind. But I want us to take each of the three main characters, Naomi, verses 1 to 5. Then Ruth takes center stage uh, in verses uh, 6 through to um, 9. And then Boaz for the rest of the chapter. So all I've got is one word to describe Naomi, one word to describe Ruth, and one word to describe Boaz. And they're going to help us to understand how it is that you find covering, how it is you find this relationship that deeply satisfies us. So let's dive into the story. Now, remember at this point in the story, uh, Naomi and Ruth still have a serious problem. So Naomi... Just very, very quickly to fill it in, in case you haven't been here. Naomi and her husband Elimelech, they left God's city of Bethlehem. They left Bethlehem. They ran off to Moab and Elimelech died. That was a bad move. It was a wrong thing to do. Elimelech died. Then their two sons married Moabite women and the two sons both died. Now you've got Naomi and her two daughters-in-law. One of the daughters-in-law stays in Moab. The other one comes back with Naomi. That's Ruth, okay? They're coming back. They're both widows. 
There is no social security. There is no provision for them. There is no hope. There is, it's bleak, right? And they're heading back to Bethlehem. And in Ruth chapter 2, we saw this fantastic man, Boaz, who strides onto the scene in a majestic, glorious manliness. It's a brilliant picture. And uh, he, he comes in and he provides for them and he gives them food. And now they've got full tummies. And they haven't had full tummies for years. They've got full tummies. It's fantastic. But there's only short-term provision. They still have a big problem. Their long-term prospects are still really bleak. They have no inheritance in the land. They still have no security. So when Naomi says, in verse 1, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you'll be well provided for. It's not just, oh, come on, Ruth, it'd be nice to find somewhere to live. There's more at stake here. Their whole future, their inheritance, everything rests on that. Big deal. Although verse 2, at first reading, sort of make you cringe, don't you? Can't you imagine the conversation? Now, Ruth, I must find a home for you. Now, Boaz. What do we think of Boaz, Ruth? That's awkward, right? This is your mother-in-law suggesting, you know, come on, Ruth, why don't we think about Boaz? He'd be an excellent, uh, an excellent man. And tonight would seem like a good opportunity, and it gets worse, doesn't it? Tonight he'll be winnowing on the, with barley on the threshing floor. Wash. <laughs> come on, Ruth, have a little wash. Put on some perfume. Get your best clothes on. Let's go, girl. You go get him. Let's go manhunting. Let's go get this man. That's how it reads. Uh, and I've puzzled long and hard this week about what Naomi is playing at. And the weird thing is I've read quite a bit of stuff and I've listened to some stuff and I've thought about some stuff. And people disagree about this a lot. Some people think that Naomi is wrong. Some people think that Naomi is basically putting her daughter-in-law in a really dangerous position. And she's sort of saying to her, come on, Ruth, go seduce him. You know, do, the, you know, do some flirty stuff. Let's get this on. She's, that sort of thing, right? And she's putting Ruth in a really awkward position and she's kind of acting, trying to force God's hand. Now, I want to say that is not right. In the same way, you remember, I feel like I'm a bit of a defender for Naomi. I, you remember back in chapter 1? You know, everyone talks about Naomi being bitter, grumpy Naomi. No, she's not. The Bible doesn't say that. She had bitter experiences, but she wasn't bitter. Same here. She gets a hard time for being like pushy, pushy mother-in-law. Actually, I want to suggest that she's acting in absolute faith in what she says. And there are two grounds. Okay, so here's my word. I haven't even shown my word. Here's my word for Naomi, right? My word um, for Naomi, to sum up Naomi, is that she is responsive. Okay, she's responsive. I want to say she has two grounds on which she goes about this suggestion to Ruth. There are two things that make it a very wise thing that she's saying. The first thing is she has God's word. So God has always said in his word, he's, he, God has set up this 
situation, right? If this ever happens, if, if a woman ever finds herself widowed in, a, in Bethlehem with no hope, no future, no husband, God's already said what should happen. The, the widow's husband's brother or relative should marry the widow, it's in Deuteronomy 26, in order that the family line should be continued. And that's why Naomi says, uh, now Boaz, verse 2, with whose women you've worked, is a relative of ours. That, is, that shows us that, Ruth, that Naomi's not going, come on, Ruth, just go for Boaz, it's nice. Ruth, Naomi's grounds for saying that Ruth should go and do this is on God's word. She's trusting what God says. So she's got God's word, but she's also... Here's the second ground, is she's got God's kindness, right? She's already seen God's kindness through this man, Boaz. It's not like she's going, well, you know what, I've seen this guy, Boaz, he's really hot, and I don't, you know, he's in the field all day, don't know if he's interested. She does know he's interested. He's shown massive kindness to Ruth and to Naomi already. This isn't a punt in the dark. And it's like, okay, this is really important, and I hope this will be really helpful practically to us in a second, all right? It's like this is the field that Naomi operates in. It's got boundaries, right? The boundary of God's word and the boundary of God's kindness. And Naomi says, look, these two things mean that I can see this is a wise way to go. Not a desperate shot in the dark. She's not a manipulative and impatient woman. These are the actions of a woman who trusts God's word and can see God's kindness. And so she says, go. And she's responding. She's not taking, this is so important for you to understand, she's not taking the initiative. She's not trying to force God's hand. She's responding to what she can already see God doing. Now I think sometimes we sit around and, uh, you know, there's this, something we've got to make a decision or something's going wrong and we go, well, I'm just going to wait for God to do something. Stop. Okay, there's a time, right, for waiting. But there's also a time for just saying, okay, I've got God's word, and I can see God's kindness. Let's go. If you, be, if you have a decision, and there's something that's going to cross this line of God's word, that says, God says, you shall not do this, don't go past that line. That's a boundary. That's a, that's a, f- a fence in the field. Don't go there. And if you try to go this way, and you don't find God's kindness, don't go there. <laughs> Now, look, um, there's, there's a beautiful old hymn that puts this wonderfully. Listen to this. Um, this is one of the verses. It says, O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace, listen to this, I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be. Listen to that phrase. I trace the rainbow through the rain. That is what Naomi is doing. She is tracing the rainbow of God's kindness through the rain of her experience. She has suffered horrendously. She has suffered all sorts of pain. She has cried and cried and been broken. And yet what she's looking for is the rainbow of God's kindness. Can I say to you that most of us, when bitter experiences come upon us, we lose sight of the rainbow, we can only see the rain. 
and we become deeply cynical and we become deeply embittered and we become very turned in on ourselves. Yet Naomi, in her experience, is saying, it's been bitter, there's a lot of rain, but look, I can see a rainbow. And his name's Boaz. She traces the rainbow. And I want to encourage you to be someone who, like Naomi, traces the rainbow of God's kindness. See the kindness of God that he's shown you. In the midst of the bitterness and the tears and the pain and the frustration and things aren't working out like I wanted them to and we can get so angry and so turned in on ourselves, will we trace the rainbow of God's kindness? Will we look and see the kindness of God? Not to chase the rainbow, not to chase pathetic, ridiculous dreams, but to trace the rainbow. And as you trace that rainbow and you watch it and you watch it and you watch it, it lands on the cross where Jesus died. That's where it starts. There's the kindness. When you begin to lose sight, when you begin to feel like giving up, when you begin to feel like you're losing grip on life and hope and joy, you need to trace the rainbow back to the cross where Jesus died. But from there it flows so many evidences of God's kindness that we can trace through our lives. And as you trace the rainbow, and as you see it, will you then be responsive? Start to act on that. In line with God's word, and in line with God's kindness, you trace that rainbow, and you start to act. I think that's what Naomi's doing. I think she's saying to Ruth, this is the way to go. And can I say, I think we read her instructions to to Ruth wrongly, wash, put on perfume and get dressed in your best clothes. I wonder what you imagine her best clothes would be like. We, we read this with a very, very 21st century lens because we immediately think this is a sexy, seductive thing that's going on here. I am pretty convinced that what Naomi is saying is get dressed for a wedding. Get dressed for a wedding. This is wedding clothes. You look in the book of Song of Songs, the bride wears perfume. That's a wedding thing, right? This isn't Naomi saying, go try and seduce him. This is Naomi saying, Ruthie, get ready to marry him. Get dressed. I think Naomi is a staggeringly wonderful character who in the midst of the pain can trace God's rainbow. And maybe that is a very specific word to some of us this afternoon. Maybe there are some of us here who are in the midst of all sorts of pain and struggle and we've lost sight of the rainbow. We've lost sight of grace. We've lost sight of God's kindness. And maybe we feel like we're kind of becalmed, you know, in our Christian lives. We're not going anywhere. Nothing's happening. We don't know what to do. We're sitting and we're thinking, oh, it's all going wrong. It's all going wrong. I want to suggest to you that you take a leaf out of Naomi's book that you get hold of God's word, you get hold of God's kindness, and you start to move. Start to act. Because as you hold God's word and you hold God's kindness, he will direct your path and he will lead you in the way that you should go. That's Ruth. Uh, Naomi. I was very confusing all these names. Here's, um, let's get to Ruth. Because this is, this is even better. Uh, here's my one word for Ruth, which if you were here last week will really surprise you. 
um, as they should. My one word for Ruth is the word bold. There is something very, very striking about Ruth chapter 3. One, okay, one word that is very, very striking about Ruth chapter 3. And you won't be able to spot it because it's not there. The striking thing is that in Ruth chapter 1, it comes up loads. In Ruth chapter 2, it comes up loads. In Ruth chapter 3, it is not there. The word is Moab. In Ruth chapter 1, she is the Moabite, the Moabite, Ruth from Moab. She's a foreigner, she's a foreigner. In Ruth chapter 2, when she gets back, it's Ruth the Moabite. She's from Moab, she's from Moab. And look what she says to Boaz, in, um, which is what we saw last week. Okay, if you were here last week, this is what we saw. And it blew us away last week. Uh, Ruth chapter 2, verse 10. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me? A foreigner. You see how she describes herself? I'm a foreigner. I'm from Moab. I don't deserve to be here. Why would you notice me? But in Ruth chapter 3, it doesn't come. She's never described as a Moabite. She is described as a Moabite again in chapter 4. And I'll tell you why next week. But in chapter 3, she's not. <laughs> Genuinely, if you can get a hold of this, this is, you may be thinking, why is this? Who cares? It is stunningly beautiful what happens here. You see, what is going on is that in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, her identity was, I'm a Moabite. That was who she was. That was how she defined herself. But when you get to chapter 3, there is not a sniff of Moab anymore. Ruth says to her mother-in-law, I will do whatever you say, verse 5. Okay, mum, I'll get washed, I'll put on the perfume, I'll do all the stuff, I'll go. So she went down to the threshing floor, she did everything the mother-in-law had told her to do. And she goes up to Boaz, and Boaz is having his having this party, it's the end of harvest, he's having a meal. Uh, Naomi has said, don't interrupt his meal. You know, she's wise, she makes wise decisions, don't irritate him, don't mess up his meal. You know, uh, let him finish his meal, wait for him to go to sleep. Which, interestingly, is another reason why getting dressed up and wearing perfume can't have been anything to do with how she's making herself attractive to him, because he's asleep, bless him. He doesn't even, anyway... Um, so she goes, she, he, he's having his party. He goes over to lie down at the far. Ground. Now look how it's described. Beautiful, isn't it? Ruth approached quietly. <laughs> and she uncovered his feet. <laughs> That's weird, isn't it? Not sure, not sure why. But she uncovered his feet. That's what we're told. And Ruth lies down. I think it's something to do with Ruth identifying this as the man. This is Boaz. And then... In the middle of the night, something startles him. He wakes up and he goes, oh, I'm a woman. Now, that, the threshing floor, right, that was not a place where the women were supposed to be. That was a place where the men worked. They were having a party. They'd finished their work. They were crashed out after their party. It does not say Boaz was drunk. I don't think Boaz was drunk. It doesn't say that. It just says he was at a good meal, had some drinks, was married. Happy times. She, now, here comes the key question. Boaz says, who are you? Look at her answer. If you can get hold of this, this is the heart of it. What is her answer? Who are you? 
And she says, I am your servant, Ruth. What did she say last week? Why would you notice me? I'm just a foreigner. Here, I'm your servant, Ruth. Last week, let's get this really clear, right? Verse 13, last week, chapter 2, verse 13. May I continue to find favour in your eyes, my Lord, she said. You put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. I'm not one of your I don't have the standing of one of your servants, but here she is. I'm your servant, Ruth. Do you see that her whole status, her whole standing has changed? Her whole approach to Boaz has changed. Why? Because she's come to take refuge under God's wings. She is not a Moabite anymore. She is now one of God's people, one of his rescued, redeemed, loved, beautiful people. She's not a Moabite. And she's not begging for mercy now. Can't you see this? She doesn't come and say, oh, Boaz, I don't really deserve it, but could you help me? Look what she says. She says, I'm your servant, Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me because you're one of my kinsmen and demons. She comes and she claims her right. Isn't that interesting? Last week, we talked about the humility of faith that we approach with humility. Why would you notice me? Can I say that's not the only story? We also need to learn how to approach boldly, how to approach confidently in who our identity is in Christ. This, I've been really powerfully convicted of this this week. We carry so many labels about who we are and our identity and we define ourselves so often by our sin. We define ourselves by the ways that we fail. We go big on the unworthy idea. I'm unworthy. I'm unworthy. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And it's true. But it's not the whole truth. Because as we come to Christ, as we come to Jesus, as we come to find refuge under God's wings, we're changed. We have a new identity. We've become children of the King. We have a new boldness to approach Listen to this, okay? Listen to these examples from verses from the New Testament. Just listen and let me ask you, is this how you view being a Christian? Because this is what Ruth is doing in Ruth chapter 3. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. Are you confident as one of God's people? In Christ Jesus and through faith in him, we approach God with freedom and confidence, Ephesians 3. We make an approach to God boldly, confidently. This is striking stuff. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything in his name, he hears us. The spirit you've received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. Rather, the spirit you received has brought about your adoption so that you may cry out, Abba, Father. How do you define yourself this afternoon? I think many of us feel the weight of our failure. Many of us feel the weight of our guilt. Many of us feel, and we, you know, we hear the kind of songs about being a sinner, and we go, well, yeah, I'm a sinner. 
Have you found the freedom that Ruth discovered of coming to Boaz and saying, I'm your servant? <laughs> there's a confidence, there's a boldness in the approach of Ruth that she comes to Boaz. Some of you carry labels around that other people have placed on you. Carry labels of failure. Carry labels of past sin that you, you still identify with. I mean, so many people have been caught up in addiction who define themselves by their addiction. I'm an addict. And yet here is Ruth. Yes, she was a Moabite. That was chapter 2. Why would you notice me? But now I'm your servant, Boaz. I'm, I'm your servant. And maybe for some of us, our experience of being a Christian is very Ruth 2. We're stuck in Ruth 2. And we've never really experienced that wonderful freedom of saying, I have a new identity. Such that we could come and we could say, spread the corner of your garment over me. Since you are a guardian redeemer. A guardian of our, a redeemer of our family. This is... This is the confidence we have in approaching. And perhaps there's some of us who are sitting here thinking, I could never approach, I could just never come near, I could never approach Jesus, I could never approach God. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Ruth is bold. But here's the final uh, character, and that's Boaz. And I want to say that Boaz is pure. Utterly pure. I mean, it's a real hold-your-breath moment, isn't it? When she says in verse 9, spread the corner of your garment, she's lying on the floor, it's the middle of the night, he's only just woken up, I don't know what you're like when you've just been woken up in the middle of the night. <laughs> it's like, whoa, what's going on? Spread the corner of my feet, are cold, what's happening? I mean, Ruth has taken a risk here. She's placed all of her hope in this man, Boaz. He holds her future in his hand. <laughs> what he says next will set the course of the rest of her life. In fact, actually, what he says next will set the course of the whole of the rest of human history. That's how significant this moment is. As Ruth, can you imagine her heart pounding within her? What's he going to say? What's he going to say? He could shame Ruth, couldn't he? She shouldn't be at a threshing floor. He could refuse to marry her. How dare you uncover my feet? How dare you come near me? How dare you touch me? I mean, is there a hint even in the uncovering of his feet that she's put him in a shameful position? Remembering being uncovered is a shameful thing. Is there a hint that actually she has put him in a shameful place and that by marrying Ruth, he is going to have to take shame upon himself? He could protect his own reputation. He could expose her as a, question, a, a, a woman of questionable morals. He could shame her. He could abuse her, couldn't he? I mean, come on. He's lying there in the middle of the night. A woman is at his feet. It would not be hard for him to take advantage of Ruth. Remember that Naomi has said, he will tell you what to do. Do whatever he tells you. Supposing at that moment his sexual desire had taken control of him and he had just satisfied his lust, he satisfied his desire for sexual pleasure. 
She's utterly vulnerable. Surely there's a temptation in Boaz, isn't there? To indulge the flesh, to indulge in that, to make the most of this opportunity laid before him. Can I say, some people claim that that's what's happening here. Some people, right, say that Ruth and Boaz slept together on the, on the threshing floor. That this is a kind of a euphemistic way of saying they had relationship. Rubbish. They did not. Absolutely clear. I can tell you they didn't, because in chapter 4, it says, in chapter 4, verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. If the Bible wants to be clear about something, it has the language to be clear. It doesn't speak in riddles and puzzles that we can't understand. We're being told here that Boaz does not abuse Ruth. Here is a man who has self-control. Here is a man who says no to sexual temptation. Here is a man who says, no, I will not abuse this woman who's lying at my feet. Boaz is a man who's under control. He says no to sin. I hope you can see how beautiful that is. I hope you can see that. And in our world where sexual sin is completely out of control and where all of us are tempted all the time to indulge in sexual sin of all sorts, I hope you can see the beauty of this man who in that moment, in the heat of the moment, when no one would have known and he could have done whatever he wants, he chose to say no and to treat her instead with purity. He did not shame her. He did not abuse her. He treated her with total purity. So just listen to his words. Here it is. The whole history of the world hangs on these words. Verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. Do you see how he honors her? This is stunning. And now, my daughter, don't, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. She has effectively said, I want you to marry me, Boaz. I want you to spread the corner of your garment over me. I want to be your wife. And he says, I will do that. I'll do everything you ask. She's not simply tried to do the best she can for herself. She's not tried to get a younger, good-looking thing, which is interesting because it probably means that Boaz was in the older end of life. Maybe not the most physically attractive man in the world. But boy, is he good, isn't he? And he is willing to be uncovered. He is willing to be potentially shamed in order that he might cover her, spread his wings over her. And just when you thought it was all going beautifully, everyone was happy, there's a problem. Oh, look what he says. Although it's true I regard and redeem of our family, this is verse 12, there is another who is more closely related than I. This is every good love story, right? Every good love story has to have that moment like, oh no, it's all off. It's all gone wrong. Just when we thought it was all going to be perfect. And uh, there's another bloke. Now this is really important. And the reason that this is so important, is the reason it's important that there was another man is because it shows that Boaz was under no obligation to marry Ruth. He did not have to. There was another there was another who could have married uh, Ruth, who could have done it. And Boaz could have gone, not my problem, love. <laughs> Go and talk to Billy Blob down the road. He's closer than I am. <sighs> that was close. 
He's not under any obligation, which means that Boaz acts in love, acts in kindness towards Ruth. And so he, he says, we're going to do this properly, right? He's a man of purity. We're going to do this properly. Verse 13, stay here for the night and in the morning if he wants to do his duties, your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. You can almost imagine Boaz going if he wants to. And good, let him. Hope not. But if he's not willing, as sure as the Lord lives, I'll do it. Which I think in chapter 4 is why he keeps going, she's Ruth the Moabite, Ruth the Moabite. Maybe. And so Ruth, verse 14, lays at his feet until morning. But she got up before anyone could be recognized. And he, said, and he said, no one must know that a woman came to her threshing floor. He's protecting her. He's protecting her uh, reputation. He's protecting um, her honor. She has laid everything at his feet. Placed all of her hope in him. And he's treated her with total purity and beauty. And then as a parting gift, he <laughs> gives her so much grain. It's just hilarious, isn't it? You can imagine her staggering home with this great big shawl full of grain for, for the mother-in-law. And then out comes Naomi. Isn't it this classic, classic mother-in-law? Here she comes. How did it go? How did it go? Any news? And then she told her everything that Boaz had done for her and added... He gave me these six measures of, measures of barley, saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. And then Naomi, look at that. Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled. We're not going to faff around in it, Ruth. This is going to get sorted today. I know what Boaz is like. Boaz is up for this, right. Now, I want to tell you, just as we, as we finish, I want to tell you, all the way through this, I've been saying that Boaz and Ruth is a picture of it. God and Israel is a picture of Jesus and the church. And I want to tell you that if you will come to Jesus with boldness, if you will come to Jesus with the courage and the confidence and the boldness that Ruth came to Boaz with, and if you say to him, Jesus, would you cover my shame? Jesus will say, I will do everything you ask of me. Anyone who comes to Jesus, he will never, ever drive away. He will never say, get out of here. And you have to remember that Jesus is our greater Boaz, who was not simply prepared for his feet to be uncovered, but who himself was completely uncovered. As he hung naked on the cross, utterly shamed, carrying all the weight of our shame, our sin, our guilt against God. Jesus was exposed at the cross, not just his feet, his whole body exposed, uncovered, so that he could spread his wings over you. And I want you to know, I want you to know with absolute certainty, if you are a Christian, if you are trusting Jesus, if you have come to him, he loves you. He did not have to redeem you, but he chose to redeem you. He loves you. He has spread his cloak over you. You are covered. And that old identity, that sin that used to define us, that is not what defines you anymore. Now you say, I belong to Christ. I belong to Jesus. I'm one of his. Jesus, I'm your servant. 
And this afternoon, I wonder, have you found that to be true for you? Have you come to Jesus and found refuge under him? You see, this Jesus who was exposed at the cross and died is the same Jesus who rose again, the same Jesus who's alive today, and the same Jesus today who welcomes all who come to him, who says, come, come, come. Come in all your filth, in all your Moabitiness, come. I'll make you new, I'll cover you. This is the hope of the gospel. This is what we believe. And because Ruth and Boaz got married, they had a son who 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 had a son. Who was Jesus? <laughs> so this afternoon, I want us to leave this place with our heads held high. You know, last week, I wanted us to leave feeling, why would you notice me, Jesus? This week, I want us to leave saying, Yes! He does love me. I'm one of his. He knows me and I'm secure and I'm safe and the filth of my sin is not what defines me anymore. He does. Let's pray together and then we're going to spend some time responding in the song. Heavenly Father, we thank you that Although in our sin we are we're unworthy, we're, we're, we're exposed, we're uncovered, we thank you that there is one who will cover us, one who was willing to be uncovered that we might be covered, one who was willing to die that he might spread his wings over us. Our oh, Father, help us to find our refuge in Jesus. Help us every day to find our refuge. Help us to trace that rainbow of your kindness. Help us to hold your word and your kindness together. Help us to move, to make decisions, to work, to do stuff. And help us to all the time recognize that it's ultimately Jesus who is the greater Boaz who welcomes us. Father, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.